start out with a name that literature. Let's see how well read you are. <clears throat> if he wanted to keep him after he was dead, the wicked old screw pursued the woman. Why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd have had somebody to look after him when he was stuck with death or struck with death instead of lying gasping out of his last there, all alone by himself. It's the truest word was ever spoke, said Mrs. Dilber. It's a judgment on him. I wish it was a little heavier judgment, replied the woman. And it would have been, you may depend upon it, if I could have laid my hands on anything else. Open that bundle up, old Joe, and let me know the value of it. Speak out plain. I'm not afraid to be the first, nor afraid uh, for them to see it. Uh, skipping ahead, Mrs. Dilbert was next. Sheets and towels, a little wearing apparel, two old-fashioned silver spoons, a pair of silver tongs, sugar tongs, and, new, and a few boots. Her account was stated on the wall in the same manner. I always give too much to the ladies. It's a weakness of mine, and that's the way I ruin myself, said old Joe. That's your account. If you asked me for another penny and made it, and, and made it an open question, I'd repent from being so liberal and knock off half a crown. And now undo my bundle, Joe, said the first woman. Joe went down on his knees for the greater convenience of opening it and having unfastened. A great many knots dragged out a large, heavy roll of some dark stuff. What do you call this, said Joe? Bed curtains, uh, returned the woman laughing and leaning forward on her crossed arms. Bed curtains. You don't mean to say you took them rings and all with him lying there, said Joe. Yes, I do, said the woman. Why not? <coughs> you were born to make your fortune, said Joe, and you'll certainly do it. I certainly shan't hold my hand when I can get anything in it by, uh, by reaching it out. For the sake of such a man as he was, I promise you, Joe, returned the woman coolly. Don't drop that oil on the blankets now. His blankets? Whose else do you think, replied the woman. He isn't likely to take cold with him, I dare say. I hope he didn't die of anything catching, eh, said old Joe, stopping in his work and looking up. Don't you be afraid of that, returned the woman. I ain't so fond of his company that I'd loiter about him for such things if he did. Ah, you may look, though, that, that shirt till your eyes ache. You won't find a hole in it, nor a thread place bare. It's the best he had, a fine one, too. They'd have wasted it if it weren't been for me. What do you call wasting it, asked old Joe. Putting it on him to be buried in, to be sure, replied the woman with a laugh. Someone was fool enough to do it, but I took it off again. If Caligo ain't good enough for such a purpose, it isn't good enough for anything. It's quite as becoming as uh, to the body. He can't look uglier than he did in that one. What is it? Oh, really? It's a Christmas carol. All right. That's great. There you go. It's a Christmas carol. So this is when uh, Scrooge with the last ghost, who's the ghost of Christmas future, 
takes him to this place where these people who used to work for him are selling his stuff. Uh, he's dead. And he's, he's dead and the people are selling his stuff to old Joe. Um, <clears throat> so Scrooge is seeing the future after his death and uh, the lady took the shirt right off him. Uh, Dickens is quite funny in the fact that he says, well, you know, he's not going to look any better without it, you know, or look any worse uh, because he's dead. Um, the reason that I read that is because it does actually apply to our uh, study today, which is going to be based upon greed. And the reason why is because in our study, we've been emphasizing the difference between the Antichrist to come, who is the ultimate leader of the final kingdom of man, the final Gentile kingdom on earth. And that kingdom, which is the epitome, it's the, the, the characteristics of that kingdom to come, the earthly one, is all around us. And we've been looking at that a bit too. And part of that is greed. It's a huge part of it. Uh, the kingdom of the beast to come is full of it. He is full of it. And our Lord is going to give us a teaching on that. And he's going to mention in that teaching that in our kingdom, greed uh, for earthly things is, of, um, is the most, one of the most foolish things, if not the most foolish thing you can do. <clears throat> so we're going to start in Luke chapter 12. Let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for our instruction in Scripture so that we may be set free from, and we're all tempted to it, even if we've matured in it and our materialism has declined, we're still uh, temptable to greed. And it doesn't have to be money. It can be in anything. We, uh, greed is covetousness. Greed is wanting more. So, with uh, humility and reverence, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for Your Word, and thank You so much for the instruction on everything that pertains to life that is important. And so, Father, as we hear from our King the instruction on, on wealth and on giving and our graciousness as opposed to greediness. We seek, Father, for you to change our hearts through the Spirit. And each of us needs some change and some more than others. But that is neither here nor there. We, we know, Father, that we all need to change. And so we ask for your guidance and more knowledge and more to apply to our lives that we may apply it with vigor. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So every kingdom in the world, the history of the world, has eventually been led by someone or some group of people who have been, who have been greedy. Uh, in the Constitutional Convention in 1787, uh, Benjamin Franklin gives a famous speech on this, uh, this very thing that he, he said we must be careful to make sure that our rulers in this republic cannot get wealthy by ruling. And he was right, although that didn't happen. 
Um, and, and that's what happens. Even in a country that our, our nation was the first one in the history of the world to begin on an idea. You know, we didn't start with a conquering. We didn't start with a, a succession of, you know, like another king. Um, we started new and based on an idea. An idea in which, for whatever reason, and we know the reason is the grace of God, that he put in, in one area at one time several of the most brilliant people uh, who could start a government in statecraft and constitutionalism and all of that. And, and it began. And so for us, it was magnificent. And, and the prosperity and freedom that has, that has come from that quote-unquote experiment has been the greatest the world has ever seen. But it got corrupted. And we know this for a fact. <clears throat> and, it, and our nation is not any different than any other nation in all of history. They sometimes start off corrupted, and they don't get better. Um, and, and sometimes they start off pretty good, and always they get corrupted. And that word folly comes into play uh, very well. People, they know they shouldn't do stuff because it ain't going to be good, and for whatever reason they do it anyway. So as we've seen this week, uh, starting on Sunday, we saw that there's a great difference between the kingdom of our Lord and the kingdom of the Antichrist. Uh, and we also saw that our Lord himself is the exact opposite and that <clears throat> our Lord has made for us um, a, a way in which while we are members of his kingdom, we live under the rules and the way and the, the manner of that kingdom while we're in these bodies that are sinful or, or sin-ridden uh, and we live in a world that is corrupt. We live in the enemy kingdom, but we can live as lights to the world, as living as those who are of the new kingdom. And <clears throat> part of that is greed. And so for you're in Luke 12, why don't you skip down to the bottom. And look at verse 32. It's, uh, it's verse 32 that turned me on to this as I was looking around. He said, Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And notice that, right? The father has gladly, and that, that's what the Greek word is, uh, that, that he graciously, gladly, desirously, has given it to you. And this isn't any, I mean, if somebody gave you an earthly kingdom, that would be something. But this is God giving you his kingdom, eternal, righteous, holy, just, beautiful. And he says, don't be afraid. Now, what we want to find out is, what is he instructing us not to be afraid of? And we'll see that. And I can tell you right off, it's giving. It's giving. And sacrificially, not just, well, I gave a little bit here or there. This is giving. This is giving as the Lord is going to instruct us to give it all. Not to become, you know, you know what I mean, not to become homeless with nothing on the street. 
but to be gracious. In other words, to take all of your possessions and put them in the Lord's hands and say, these are yours. What would you have me do with them? That is giving it. And following what he says, not what you think he'll say. It's a challenge to all of us. All of us get a little tight in the throat when we think about giving it all. And the Lord's going to tell us, don't be afraid. So go back to verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, doesn't it seem odd that right in the middle of his sermon that some guy would say this? Why would he say that? Doesn't it seem so out of place and so, like, rude? Hey, uh, Lord, who's going to die for the sins of the whole world, could you stop what you're doing and talk to my brother about some money? Like, it seems so ridiculous. But the context of the passage tells us why. Go back to verse 11. Now, Jesus is in the middle of teaching about how the church is going to be persecuted and not to worry and to stand firm with him. It's a magnificent teaching that needs to be absorbed by every believer. He says in verse 11, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour that you, what you ought to say. And here we see it. This man who says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance. This is what he's been looking for. You see, Jesus said <coughs> in the synagogues and in the rulers and with the authorities, he means the courts. And for this man, the court is where he wants his inheritance to be given. You know, obviously his brother isn't giving him the inheritance. Where is he going to get the right to this inheritance? It's in the court. And Jesus said, look, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit's going to give you in that very hour what you ought to say. And this man says, well, think about it now. If this man can talk in courts, synagogues, authorities with the Holy Spirit, then he could definitely convince them to give me my inheritance. I mean, if the, the whole purpose was of the Christian life for you to sound really smart and convincing in courtrooms, then, you know, this would apply. <clears throat> so after hearing the Lord of glory, this man saw in his own mind a lawyer who could actually win any court case. Right? The Holy Spirit will teach what to say. So he says, Lord, why don't you go to the court and say for me? And he's blind to the truth. Jesus' teaching here is, is of, of incredible importance. It's in this passage that the Lord will say, don't, don't fear those who can kill the body. Right? They're going to want to kill you because you're with me. And don't fear them. I mean, this is the teaching of the, the soldiers of Christ in this world staying firm in the truth despite the persecution that could lead to martyrdom. And yet, we're not going to cave, right? We're going to stand firm in the truth and be a light to the world. 
And that's what he's teaching. And from what this guy gets from it is that this could be a good lawyer to get me my court case won. He's blind to the truth. Things concerning eternal life and living the spiritual life in a fallen world where the saints are going to be persecuted with the power of faith and wisdom to overcome the amazing calling on every... Is it just for the heroes, you know, particular Christians? No, it's for all of us. Every one of us is called to glorify him in their lives and their bodies, and that in that we will be persecuted. He promised it. And that <clears throat> we could bring amazing glory to his life by how we live. Living for the king of glory, honoring him with his power, with his spirit, with his word, overcoming his enemies. And all this guy sees is the potential for a lawyer to win him some money. <clears throat> now, the people depicted in the Bible are not exceptions. Right? There's a re is this the only guy who talked to Jesus that day or in that, even in that hour? Is this the only one who asked him a question or asked him for something? Uh, probably thousands of people asked him. Why is Luke pulling out this guy in particular? It's because through the Holy Spirit, the people who are depicted in the Bible with their behavior are not atypical. They're typical. And that's why he's here. All of us are tempted to this. All of us. And one of the first things that we can do is when we hear the eternal truth, we can misunderstand it and then wonder how it can improve my earthly life. Don't a lot of people go to church for that reason? It's going to make my family better, and it will. It's going to make my life better, and it will. But that's not the reason. That's not the reason it was given to us. And in fact, if I plug into Christianity for the reason that it's going to make me better, I miss the whole purpose of it, and it's not going to make me better. It's not. Because the whole purpose of Christianity is to make you like Christ. Not to make you better. The whole purpose of Christianity is not to make your marriage better. It's to make you, husband or wife, like Christ and like the church. And your marriage may not get better. Um, and, and so the, it misses the purpose, as this guy misses the purpose. This is typical. He's not unique. When we hear eternal truth, we cannot be concerned about how it's going to make my personal material life better. Like we're to suffer for his name's sake. It's not going to make your life better at times. I, I mean the actual day-to-day -day things. You are going to be tested and tempted in ways that you couldn't have imagined. As we were talking about the other day, you know, once you've gained some, some maturity and the usual things don't tempt you or or stress you out like they used to, uh, it's not going to be smooth sailing from that point on because God's going to bring more. Different things. So uh, this man makes our Lord out to be nothing but a lawyer. Some people make the Lord out to be nothing but a doctor. In other words, if I follow you, Lord, will you make my health better? Will you fix my heart? Will you cure my cancer? Some people uh, think the Lord is a dating website. Lord, if I follow you, you'll find me my right man or right woman, right? 
Uh, some see him as a sugar daddy. Right? That's the prosperity gospel. That's very popular. A career consultant. Lord, if I follow you, you'll get me the right job and I'll have a smashing career. A genie in a bottle. And I'm not getting my genie bottle out. Christ did not come to give us... In, sorry, Christ did not come to us in order to give us some worldly advantage. He did not. Christ not, did not come into this world to give us some worldly advantage. That's what Satan promises. And by the way, before you're even dead, he will leave you. He does never deliver on his promise. The promise of wealth will leave you. First, it'll trap you, and then it will leave you because it does not deliver. The promise of anything other than that, anything that promises human fulfillment will leave you and care nothing for you as it says goodbye. It won't even say goodbye. It'll just desert you. But God never will. Now, is it true that it's not, sorry, it's not true that Christ does have no effect on these things, on your marriage, on your life, on your health. He has wonderful effects on these But his purpose, first and foremost, is to have a profound effect upon our hearts. And when he changes your heart, changes your perspective, changes what you love, changes your knowledge, makes you wise, then the other things will improve. Now, they'll improve for you even if they get worse. Meaning that your circumstances might get worse. Your cancer might hit the next stage and get worse. But because Christ has changed your heart, the way you view that cancer is completely changed. The way you view that financial hardship is completely changed. The way you view that relationship that is very difficult has completely changed. But if you've changed and people respond to your change, your relationships will definitely get better. Because you're better. But not everybody responds. So there's no guarantees in terms of the little stuff. God never said in the Bible, I'm going to get involved in the details of your life. He is there, but he didn't say he's going to change all things for the better. That's a prosperity gospel that's a lie. God came to change our hearts. So a person is forever distinct from what he owns. And that's what Christ is going to now teach us, an eternal truth. Uh, I thought about various pictures to use here, and I, I came up with the Sistine Chapel for some reason. But, uh, you know, that's God touching Adam to give him the breath of life, as Michelangelo depicted it. But, you know, that's what we're here for, and, and, and that's what we are. You, you find out who you are when you find God, your creator, you find out who you are when you find your Lord, who is your husband, who is your creator, who is your master, who is your Lord. Uh, when you find him, you find you. Your things don't define you. Now, that may seem obvious to some of us, but the whole world. And we are still tempted to it. But the whole world is trapped in it. And Christ has come to set us free. We are not what we possess. We are not. So someone in the crowd said to him, verse 13, let's hear from this knucklehead again. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. You're a good lawyer, so it sounds. 
But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? I was not sent here to be your personal lawyer. Then he said to them, to the crowd, Beware. Oh, this must have shrunk this guy. He must have felt so little as he should have. I hope he responded. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. In our world now, we have the most number of, well, inflation has caused people to become billionaires, but still the most number of them. The discrepancy between the rich and the poor is at the greatest it's ever been. Um, I was talking to somebody about that. that group of people that meets in Davos or whatever it's called, um, you know, World Economic Forum, is that who they are? Uh, anyway, um, trying, you know, I imagine them twisting their mustaches as they're drinking their expensive scotch and trying to find out how they're going to rule the world. Good luck with that. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. But they'll cause a lot of misery and destruction as they try. But they have t- loads of stuff. Loads. And they define themselves in that way. But poor people do as well. And it doesn't matter. Folly is immune to socioeconomic status, gender, race, even time of living. Depending on what area you're in. Folly is everywhere. Poor, rich, middle class, everywhere. But the Lord here says, we, now we can easily develop this idea that we are what we have. And that can sneak in. Notice that this teaching is, he teaches it to the crowd. And then after he teaches the parable of the rich fool, he's going to instruct his disciples on this very principle. So this principle is for us. And... It's easy to develop. Imagine a young man who, uh, you know, is, is just setting out in the world, young man or woman, doesn't know what they want to do. There's a lot of that, obviously. I, you know, I was like that. Probably a lot of you were. You're 18, 19, 20 years old, and you're ready to go start a career. You don't know what to do. Uh, <clears throat> you don't have a skill, maybe, or an acumen. Oh, let's say our imaginary young man doesn't have a skill or acumen for anything, doesn't have a love of something that he wants to spend his life working on to earn money. And so he takes what he can, and then he starts to earn money. Maybe he starts to tuck away some of that money. Maybe he earns enough to buy a home. Maybe he earns enough to buy a boat and some cars. And he starts to see, because he really doesn't love anything other than surviving, then he starts to see his life as identified with the things that he has. And without God, what are we? And a lot of people think it's their stuff. And and with stuff comes status. You know, a lot of this is interrelated. You know, how people look at me. People admire me. How I view my imaginary self. And with a lot of good stuff, say I've been successful and here's my stuff to show it. Right? Here's my house to show it. I'm successful. And that is exactly what he's getting at here. The Lord says for us, none of us, for none of us 
Does Even if we have an abundance, does our life consist in what we have? The Lord calls this folly. And now this gives the Lord the opportunity to teach, on a par- teach a parable on greed. He says, beware, before he teaches the parable. This uh, uh, orato, uh, it's orate, it's, uh, this word means look out. Beware is a perfect translation for it, but it comes from the verb to look. He says, beware, which means literally watch. Be on your guard, both of which are commands, by the way. Against all greed. And this word for greed, the Greek word means to literally want more. So sometimes it's translated covet. Um, and it means covet as well. But it's just, it's a desire for more. And I find that to be very enlightening because if I'm going to be greedy, and I say, well, you know, I can't be greedy because I don't have a lot of stuff. That doesn't cut it. I'm poor. I can't be greedy. I don't have a lot of stuff to really be greedy about. But do you? are you content with what you have? And do you want more? Because if you want more, you are breaching into that. Now, of course, all of us can want more stuff. But in our heart of hearts, if we don't care, we know that the Lord gives. And as Job said, the Lord takes away, right? But... The Lord gives, if he wants me to have more, great. I I would love it. But if he doesn't, I'm completely fine with that. Because what I truly possess is something that cannot be taken from me. That is my true possession. And that's what makes me me. What makes me me is what the Lord has given me, not my stuff. My stuff is inconsequential. I, I could have a room full of uh, the most expensive art in the world. And I could know nothing about it. I could be just an idiot. I could, I've got uh, probably two to three hundred books in my, on my bookshelves in there. And say I could cover all these walls with books. I could own a library. I say, people say, wow, you must be smart. Have I read any of them? Do I know what's in the stupid books? Maybe I haven't cracked one. Now, what I have means nothing. means nothing. So here comes the parable of the rich fool. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began to reason to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And it's important that there are crops here, right? It's not gold. He's not a businessman. He's a farmer. And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, this man is not a criminal. We could say, well, he got his money because he's in the mob or something like that. No, he has not acquired his money by sin. He's a hardworking guy and his fields have produced an amazing and wonderful crop year after year after year. 
And because of that, he needs to build bigger barns. But what is he missing? Don't forget, he's a uh, not a real person. So, as the guy who asked Jesus to be his lawyer is typical of mankind, when Jesus invents a person in his parable, he's never gonna. He's always going to put a persona that is very common to man, right? He's not gonna. He's not gonna put in somebody. He's not, like I got a real cool story for you. And it's about someone who's, you know, not typical of anybody. No, this man is typical. And that's what makes it even more typical is he's not someone that Jesus saw. This is someone that Jesus made up in his mind. And Jesus knows mankind because he's the creator of mankind. And so he he conjectures, he uh, makes up this guy to be typical of the world. And what does the guy not do? And again, it's important. It's agricultural. He gives no thanks to God. No credit to God. Is Jesus saying it's wrong to be rich? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He has given no thanks to God. His fields have yielded enormously. But he gives no credit to God, no thanks to God. Um, you know, by the way, there's at this time, there's no irrigation systems, right? If his crops are going to do well, it's all up to God. Where's he going to get his water? It's got to rain. If God closes up the sky, he doesn't get anything. Conditions have to be right. Can't be too hot. Can't be too cold. Right? But year after year for this man, he's got more and more. Every single year is a bumper crop. That never happens. But Jesus, again, is making this because, as it says in Psalm 104.14, he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth. The he there is God. God is the subject of the entire this entire psalm. Psalm 104 is brilliant. It's worth a read. How God provides for the little animals. Um, how God provides everything on this earth. And we saw yesterday, right? God said, this whole earth is mine. You can't give me anything. If you were ultimately the most righteous person in the world, you would have done nothing for me. I own everything. I own the earth. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle. And if you have anything good in your life, and I know you do, was it given to you by God? When was the last time we thanked him for it? For the things that we have. Maybe you did. Psalm 116.12. The psalmist says, what shall I render to the Lord for all the benefits towards me? For all his benefits towards me. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? That makes me think of uh, in Hebrews 13. It's where in Hebrews calls us a kingdom of priests or we are priests and that we offer sacrifices to God. In Hebrews 13, he mentions two things that are our sacrifices and one of them is good works. And the other one is thanks. To be thankful. 
what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Saying, thank you. Because in your heart, you know they all come from him. Just that truth believed by faith in your heart will change your whole perspective on materials. Just that one thought. That's how powerful the truth is. Now, the kingdom of the world is all money. Root of all evil, right? Money, money, money. Is there money in the kingdom of God? And I, you know, I thought about this question. And let's say not money. Let's not call it money. Let's call it currency. Is there currency in the kingdom of God? Well, he did tell us that you'll be rich towards God, right? The the contrary. In verse 21, he says, The man who stores up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. Right? That is a truism for all time. A man who stores up treasure for himself. Right? These materials are for me. They're mine. This guy who builds his barns, he's... Everything he says or everything the Lord says about him indicates that he's very sure that all those crops in those barns are his. Almost like he made them. Uh, Would the rich man have worked one day in the fields? Do you think he planted one seed? Or hoed one piece of ground? Or watered? Or labored? Reaped? Probably never did a thing. But they're mine. Um, money is the currency of the world, but it's not the currency of heaven. I don't know if I'd call it currency. But there is something that we have that we can spend. And I'd love you to just ponder that because, you know, even as I say it now, um, I think of other things that I haven't thought before. Um, You know, what is it that God has given us that we can spend that is actually going to make us richer, like investing. There is currency in the kingdom of heaven, but it sure ain't money. You don't need an ounce of money to do it. So when it does come to our money, though, and we all have it, some at least, we're to put our money in God's hand and before God's eyes. Uh, One of my uh, commentators kind of made, a, made an image. As Marcus Dodds has a, has a really neat book on the parables of the Lord. And uh, he kind of makes the image of, I'm working on my checkbook. He, he's not talking, but this is the image I got. I'm working on my checkbook, right? And I'm like hiding it from God at the same time. So I'm looking at what I got and what I'm going to do with it and all that. And I'm making sure he doesn't see it. So, in other words, I'm trying to hide rather than saying, Lord, here's my money. What do you want me to do with it? And then honestly listening. He's not going to say give it all away and go live on the street. That's not his plan for you. Maybe uh, uh, one out of a million. I don't know. Maybe it is his plan for some. But um, how much to give and to whom? How much to give and to whom and how much to keep? It would seem for the most of the world, uh, 
for the most part, all the world's riches are in the hands of people who are not gracious. Isn't that interesting? If we just took all the wealth that's on planet Earth and say, all right, who's got it? The majority of it is in the hands of those who are not gracious at all. You know, and those people are that rich for them to give. It's not even, I'm, they're not looking at their checkbooks. <laughs> they don't care. They already have so much that, you know, it, it's, it's nothing to them. The poor, the Lord said, will always be with you. Correct. God leaves the poor on earth. And for one reason, I'm sure there's many reasons, but for one of the reasons is so that we can give to them. We will see from the scripture that the believer is happy and blessed and exalted and will never want when he gives to the poor. That's the word of God. So do we look at our own interests or do we look at the interests of the kingdom of God? One clear factor that he brings out is that we're all going to die. There's a, there's a doctrine that you can take home with you. Righteous or not, this man's stuff is going to somebody. If he gives it graciously, whatever portion, if he gives a portion of it graciously while he's alive, it's going to somebody. If he holds on to it until he dies, it's going to somebody. Except in the second case, the courts are going to decide who it goes to. Your goods are going to go to somebody either after you die or now willingly. We ask ourselves, will I retire? Some of you, I would say, yes. (laughs) In comfort, maybe. Well, when I retire, will my body and brain be intact? Mm. Will I be just absolutely batty crazy when I retire? Or, I won't even know who I am. God only knows. God only knows. We don't get like a 401k in the Bible. We don't get a retirement plan. He doesn't tell us anything about this. And therefore, because he doesn't tell us, it's all the wrong question. Will I be redeemed to heaven? Yes. That's the question. It's not harmful to ask it. Just to go to the Lord and say, you're going to redeem this old body, aren't you? Yes. Now, the evaluation of this man by God is, you're a fool. Now, why is he a fool? He planned for a leisurely life, and instead he got death. He got dead. He got no life at all. Christ isn't saying that leisure and money is wrong. He's not saying that. Spirituality in the spiritual life is not uh, defined by pain. That's asceticism. What's wrong is greed. He prefaced it. Beware of greed. Here's a parable. What's the parable going to be about? And parables are simple. And they have bits and pieces that can sometimes confuse us. But generally, a parable has one single message. When you find that single message, you have the parable. But the Lord already explained it. He said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Wanting more. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be money. I want more 
from my husband or wife. They need to give me more. Give me more what? Attention, time, respect, whatever. I want more uh, stuff. I want more things. I want more house. I want more square footage. Turns out here at Grace and Truth Ministries, we got more square footage, more than we asked for, and we're paying for it. Uh, it's an inside joke. What you know? What more can I want? I want more, more, more. And the the thought is, of course, that I'll be fulfilled and happy when I get it. It's a lie. That's why Jesus tells us to beware of it. Being not content. Now, if I am content, say I have a certain amount. Say it's ten, whatever. Ten whatever. Thousand, ten cents, I don't care. And you gave some of it away and now you have five. Are you content with five? See, if I say I'm content with ten but not with five, I'm not content. <laughs> you get that, right? I, if I'm a contented person, the amount that I have doesn't matter. So, And that's what the Lord is getting at here. He's going to tell us, give. And when you give it all, He's going to tell us something wonderful we don't really have money belts, but we have. He's going to use the term money belt, but they, that's what they carried their money in. But you know, your wallet, he said, you're going to have a wallet that doesn't wear out. If you sell what you have and give it to the poor, this is his words, not mine. If you sell what you have and give it to the poor, you will make for yourself wallets that don't wear out. And that wallet's got to have something in it. And therein lies the currency of the kingdom of God. Now, of course, how much you give and all of that, that's between you and God. And, you know, if we're, if we're going to be serious about this, we're going to really pursue what God wants us to give in prayer and in study and contemplate it. And to whom? I'm not, you know, I'm not asking to give you to the church. I know God will take care of us. Now, this is why I went to, because this scene, you know, you died, you fool. Now, who's going to get your stuff? And it made me think of Scrooge. You died, you fool. Now, these people that you hated, this woman that you hated, who you wouldn't give anything to. I mean, Charles, I, I love Christmas Carol. I've seen it so many times. Um... And, you know, right, she takes the shirt right off his dead body. Look at it, Joe. You can check the whole thing. There's not one hole in it. You took it off his body? Well, he's not going to look any worse, is he? Or any better, whatever, however it goes. <clears throat> Christ gives us an eternal statement. The man who stores up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. That's an eternal truism. A man who stores up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. Now, I, I have to do the same thing. I have to revisit my stuff. What I have, 
Am I gracious? I mean, I'm, I would assume I'm not as gracious as I could be. I think that would be true of all of us, right? You know, we're all growing and all, all maturing. But, you know, as we come across these passages, because we're in the wrong kingdom, and the wrong kingdom has its ways. And those ways are not God's ways. And we will find ourselves, and I've done this a lot, obviously, that, you know, I want, I want to do it God's way, but I'm scared. I'm scared of what this kingdom's going to do to me if I do it God's way, right? I mean, if I don't keep that certain nest egg at a certain amount, I'm afraid something happens, some disaster happens, and then, you know, I'm going to be out in the cold or something like that. Psalm 112.1, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Is that verse 1? Perhaps. Sometimes my computer makes a mistake. Not me. I never make mistakes. The computer does. Psalm 112, verse 1. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Same psalm, verse 9. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. That is verse 1. That's why I gave you verse 1. This is the man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his commandments, and that man gives Freely to the poor. You can't get around the word poor. It's exactly what it means. He gives freely to the poor. Proverbs 14.21 He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. He who despises his neighbor sins, but but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Proverbs 22.9, he who is gracious will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. And then finally, Proverbs 28.27, he who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. And you know, I love the, the imagery here of, uh, I don't know at this point, and Whoever the author is here, at some point in Proverbs, it's not Solomon anymore. But, um, you know, I'm not closing my wallet or my hand. I'm closing my eyes. Right? And that's the image of the proverb is I'm not looking. If I don't see the poor fella, then I'm free. I'm free of any obligation. So then the Lord gives instruction to his disciples in verse 22. And there's a lot here, but I knew for the sake of time, we just want to read through it. And it's very, um, you're familiar with it. But I love seeing this, what we're familiar with, in the context of greed. He said to his disciples in verse 22, for this reason, now notice, this is to the disciples, right? These, this message is for us. For this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or what your, or for your body as to what you will put on. Um, now, skip down again to verse 32. Do 
not be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid. The context of, well, what am I going to fear? Back to verse 22. For this reason I say to you, don't worry about your life. What you're fearing is you, about you. What's going to happen to you? As to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you'll put on it. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, nor they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, add, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If you, if you, if then, sorry, you cannot, uh, sorry, if then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. And Solomon loved his money. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom. And Matthew adds in his righteousness. And these things will be added to you. You see, Jesus here is saying, I've got your back. We used to call this logistical grace. Now, God is going to provide all that you need. Now, seek my kingdom. And my kingdom is gracious giving, by the way. Right? That's the whole context here, as we'll see coming up. Uh, not being greedy, wanting more. And we'll say, well, I don't want more. But Jesus is going to say that's not enough. He said, beware being greedy. Yes, You've done that, but I have more for you to do, which is to be gracious. Seek his kingdom. All these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Say, but I'm worried. You have the kingdom of God. But I'm afraid. You have the kingdom of God. Give. So he says in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What teaching. Let's make you so proud of your Lord. Imagine him who came from heaven, knows he's God, and, you know, he doesn't have anything. (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't own anything. And I'm not saying live like that. By the way, no pastor tell you what to give, how much to give, and to whom. No pastor has that right. The pastor has the right to interpret, help you interpret the Scriptures. And when I say help, I do mean help. Because sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But I think here, interpretation is not a huge issue because I think it's very plain. So what we do with the Scripture is we observe it, then we interpret it, but that's not far enough. Then we have to apply it to our lives. It has to become a reality. And 
I would say, and I know this, that because I have the spirit of a man just like anybody else, is that we get afraid of doing something like this. Right? Not, you know, not going to live on the street or anything like that, but, but being exceedingly gracious. He said sell your possessions. He didn't say sell them all. But if I'm going to really be gracious as the kingdom of God, then you know, how much of that am I going to actually give? Give to charity. Charity is a broad word. You know, who, who's poor? Who needs? Who's in want? Who's not want, but who's in need? So, someday you're going to die. 